Hey there, adventurer. I appreciate you taking the time to do an investigation check and dig into the archives of the show. I wanted to let you know that this is an old episode back when the show was called The Hard Thing Podcast. The topics are still the same, though the format and some of the names are different. If instead you are coming back to The Hard Thing Podcast, well, surprise, we changed our name and some of our branding. Feel free to hang out in the archives and listen to all the wonderful old episodes of The Hard Thing Podcast or take on a new adventure by listening to some of our current episodes. Either way, happy adventuring. Welcome back to The Hard Thing Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Lewis, and this is a show designed to help you learn the secrets of those who do hard things on the daily in such a way that you can do those same hard things as well. Today, we continue our conversation with Rob Dubin. If you don't remember who he is or you didn't listen to the first part of our conversation, Rob spent five days in a snowstorm, stranded in the wilderness with his wife and another group of people. And all the experts thought that that they would end up dead, but they didn't. But he ended up having to deal with the recovery of his wife, who contracted frostbite and might have lost her limbs. Also, Rob spent 17 years sailing around the world with his wife, and he is a serial entrepreneur. We talk a lot about dreams today and going after what you really want. Uh, It's a very interesting conversation, so without further ado, let's jump back in with my conversation with Rob Dubin. In these moments, um, during first the survival and then later during your wife's recovery, obviously being able to be positive was was a big part, but what sort of things helped you maintain your composure as well as your ability to make the right call in the right moment? I've been lucky enough to spend a lot of time being mentored by uh, Tony Robbins, who was a huge influence in my life. And I studied with him a number of years ago and I took all his different programs and and it really changed how I am in the world, basically. And one of the things that Tony teaches are problem solving questions. And uh So back, this kind of gets back to your first question is how do you be optimistic? How do you decide to be happy? How do you see the glasses half full? So one of the way to do, one of the ways to do that is ask yourself empowering questions. So our brains are designed to answer questions. So if I ask my brain, why do I always fail? Why does nobody like me? Why am I no good at this? Why do I always procrastinate? your brain will come up with an answer for every one of those questions, regardless of whether it's true or not, because that's what your brain is designed to do. So you could be asking your brain a question of, why do I always fail? Or you could be asking your brain a question of, when have I succeeded in the past? How am I gonna apply that past success to my next success? So if you ask yourself empowering questions, questions that'll help you access those positive attributes, because it's scientifically proven, for instance, that when you're happy, you are more creative. Happy employees, like if, if you're in a sales job, 
I don't remember the exact percent. I think it's 32%. But anyway, happy employees literally sell 32% or whatever the percent number is more than unhappy people. So you're more creative, you're, you're more flexible, you're more resilient, you sell better, you communicate with others better. So therefore your relationships with others are better. So if you ask yourself these empowering questions that'll put you in a powerful state, and if you use your physiology to be in a powerful state, that'll affect, you know, what, what the outcome is. So when you said, for instance, when, I, when we were in the room, right after I told my wife she was going to have a full recovery, 15 minutes later, the doctors came in and the nurse with them with the paper to sign authorizing the amputation surgery. I didn't sit down on the bed when I was there. I stood up and I got, you can't see me, but I'm putting my chest back, my shoulders back. I took a deep breath and that's when I said, she's gonna have a complete recovery. We're not signing the paper for, for surgery. So I put myself in the physiology of that power. I focused on the kind of life we were gonna have in the future when she was completely healed. And so I, I accessed that powerful state by both what I focused on, the questions I asked myself to be empowering, and the physiology that I used. Was there, um, was there ever a moment while you guys were lost in the mountains um, that maybe you started to doubt your own survival? There was a group of us, and there were other people in the group that definitely were at that point. I never got there. And part of the reason I never got there is because I had I spent a lot of time in the mountains. I'd been on expeditions to Alaska and the Himalayas. So and I I had a conversation afterwards with a gentleman who wrote a book on survival. And I told him, you know, I was never in a survival. I mean, it was a survival situation, but I was doing something that I knew how to do. The other people with us, they didn't have my same experience or skill set. So they definitely got to that point. And my wife, interestingly, she was at that point at which one time and she actually fell and twisted her ski a little bit. And she just thought, oh my God, I cannot afford to hurt myself. I have to be totally together from here on out. And for her, it was like a light switch. She, from that moment on, she was strong and skied and we had to take care of some of the other people who weren't so well, we had to take care of them, but she was totally ready for that. She had made that switch. But for me, I guess because of my experience, the outcome was never in doubt. I didn't know how much pain we were going to have to go through, how freezing cold it was going to be for how many nights and all that. But I never questioned the outcome. When did you uh, start kind of, I guess the blanket term would be adventuring? Oh, I grew up adventuring. I was a young kid. I started climbing in the mountains in Colorado where I was raised and and I'd say the mountains and all that adventuring has always been a big part of my life right. and I was a, a filmmaker by profession and because I love doing these adventure things I wanted to make those kind of movies and I was lucky enough that right after I got out of film school uh, I was in my 20s I started my own film production company but I got a chance to work for ABC Sports and the Travel Channel and so I got to make films about 
like the best mountain climbers in the world and the best kayakers in the world. I covered ski races and I filmed the best ski racers in the world. Mm -hmm. And so I'm sure part of my, uh, maybe that question you asked me earlier about my optimistic outlook, I'm sure some of it maybe came from being around those people that were the best in the world at their sport. And some of that probably rubbed off on me. Right. That makes sense. It's always important to um, really surround yourself with the people that you want to emulate and <clears throat> just naturally being around them. You probably, uh, like you said, just it rubbed off on you and you were able to kind of become essentially one of them, right? It's especially because we were making films. And so part of my job was to interview them. So I spent hours asking them the kind of questions you're asking me and I heard their responses and obviously some of that uh, you know stayed with me for which for which I'm very grateful wow. so obviously we don't want anyone in, in the audience to ever find themselves in a similar situation but <clears throat> assuming one or two or maybe a, a handful of the listeners will be in kind of a life or death survival situation like that what sort of things would you do or what sort of things would you recommend? they do now in order to prepare and I mean it's kind of the idea of prepared people and unprepared people both have problems but prepared people handle them better you know well I think it's it's uh two things it's deciding up front what your outcome is don't and deciding to be positive from that moment because so, I said we did not say when my wife recovers we will be happy we decided from the beginning to be happy, and that led to the recovery. And then the other thing, and this applies for almost everything in life, is if you have a compelling future, you get drawn toward that compelling future. And uh, I, I can take people through an eight-step process of how to make their dreams come true. So that's not necessarily the survival of the situation that's gonna come at you out of left field necessarily, <laughs> but it's some of the same traits, I would say. You know, it's, as I said, it's that compelling future. It's just knowing that your locus of control is internal, you can control the result. Uh, I can give you an example of that idea about sure. locus of control. I was in uh, Phoenix for a while and I was working with a company there and one of the employees and I were compute, commuting back and forth and she normally drove this road all the time, her car had broken down, so I was giving her a lift. And we're driving on, and Phoenix has these long, long streets, it's out in the middle of the desert, they got a lot of room to spread out. And we're driving along and as I came to each stoplight, they just turned green. And she turned to me and said, well, you're so lucky. All these lights just seem to turn green for you. She said, when I drive this road, I get stopped all the time. And I looked at her like I was kind of sort of confused. And I said, well, I know that if we go outside a rush hour and if I drive 42 miles an hour, the lights are all timed and they'll all be green. And she had never thought of it that way. So I was she saw that the control was outside of her. The lights turned whenever they turned. And I saw that if I did something like figure out the timing of the lights, drove at exactly the right speed, the lights were gonna be green. So she had an external locus of control. The control was outside of her. I had an internal locus of control. So I figured out what I could do to exert control. Now, I can tell you, irrespective of that street, I've had a whole lot more green lights in my life than she has had in her life because I've 
number one, realized I could exert control, and then I've, number two, figured out how to do that. So if people can be convinced that they can control certain amounts of their life and keep changing things so that they do control it, you know, that's like weightlifting. You do a little thing like the green lights, and then when you figure out the next thing, maybe in your business and you do something and that works, pretty soon you've built up your muscle like pumping iron so much that when you have this disaster of your wife's feet, you've built up that muscle of exerting control, figuring out what you can do, and therefore you you do that. And so it's like anything. You don't start, hopefully, with the biggest thing in your life. You start with small things and you get you build up that muscle. Okay. So to kind of help our audience think of maybe how to apply this in their life, what would maybe be like the smallest example you can think of uh, in which you, you exert an internal locus of control? Um, well, it's the concept. So everything we're talking about here, I guess, comes under the heading of self-improvement. Right. How do we you know, improve ourselves? So self-improvement is really only possible if you believe in this internal locus of control that you can exert some kind of control on some parts of your life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the way to realize that you have some degree of locus of, of an internal locus of control is to focus on times that you didn't think you could accomplish something, but you took action and you did accomplish it. And then it comes back to asking yourself those empowering questions that help you focus on those times. I see. So it's it's essentially, like you said, uh, kind of retraining your brain uh, for what to focus on. Uh, essentially, teaching yourself to see green lights instead of red, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, kind of switching tacks a little bit. You have <laughs> you, you've done a lot of things, but one thing that kind of caught my eye was you've spent 17 years sailing around the world, right? So when we were in that point that we've talked about extensively, where we were focusing on our compelling future and we were focusing on the things we would do when my wife had two feet and, and 10 fingers, we focused on going sailing. And so that was our compelling future. And we also, we did certain things financially to, uh, that's sort of another part of what I talk about, but how we achieved financial independence but a year after that uh, ski incident, or I should say two years after the ski incident, the first year was recovery. The next year, a year after she was recovered, we sold our home, we bought a sailboat, and we took off to go sailing. And I was 42 years old that year. And that was the compelling future that we had thought about was how we were gonna go sailing, what kind of boat we'd have, where we would go. And so we thought at first we were only going to go for two or three years and then come back to work. But we did some financial things and, and invested and saved so that we could keep on going. And we ended up spending 17 years sailing around the world. Wow. How did you prepare for something like that? Well, um, we learned a lot about sailing. So we were actually making movies and we made a lot of sailing movies in that period of time. And one thing about uh, 
most dreams that most people have, whatever that is they're dreaming about, whether it's in their career or their life or whatever that is, a lot of people's dreams lie on the other side of fear. Mm -hmm. We have some kind of fear, whether we'll be successful, whether people will think it's a good idea, whatever it is. The sailing fear was obviously a more visceral fear of being out there in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> and we've had, when I, when I speak about our sailing experience, the most common response I get is, I would love to do that, but I would be afraid. Right. Well, well castaway kind of comes to mind. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Or yeah, if you're older like me, it's uh, Gilligan's Island. Uh, oh, yes. yes. Three hour tour. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I have a specific process. I teach people to break through fear and I, I can go through it now. It's not sure. hard, but I you break the fear down into little tiny chunks. So when, when I say to people, we sailed across the ocean, they say, I would be afraid to do that. Well, what specifically would you be afraid of? So instead of a, a, this big fear of I'm afraid of the sailing across the ocean, what specifically? Well, I'm afraid I would get lost. Okay, what's the solution for that? I could carry two or three extra GPSs. I'm afraid of the boat sinking. Okay, I could carry extra bilge pumps and I could have a really stout boat. I'm afraid of the, the knowing how to do things in the big, in the big weather. Okay, go sail with somebody else who's a professional and have them teach you how to do that before you go out on your own. So if you break the fear down into really small, specific chunks and then come up with a solution for each one of those chunks, now you know what to do and you've solved it, the problem before it even starts. So you've got the two extra GPSs with you before you ever worry about getting lost. Now you're not going to get lost. And then... Once you've broken the fear down into little chunks and you've come up with a solution for each chunk, there's just one more step. You have to take action. And courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is feeling the fear and going forward anyway. That's fascinating because the way that you described it, in that sense, your fears are actually useful uh, because... They're helping you take this amorphous, you know, vague idea and creating something, you know, taking an idea for a house and actually making blueprints out of it, which actually, I think this is probably a good segue. Uh, well, you say what you're going to say and then probably segue into dream harvesting, as you mentioned, because I think that's probably a good way. No, to I was going to say you hit the nail on the head <laughs> because you turned the fear into an, a solution, basically. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so. Before we started, you mentioned that you help people kind of do the same process, but with dreams, you know, take this idea for a house, let's say, and then turn it into a, a blueprint and then help people actually put the blueprint into reality. So, so what's the process for that? So there are eight steps that, that I go through in my process, and they're all pretty brief, and I can share them here. And so the first step is you give yourself permission to dream you realize that you're worth it, that you deserve to have your dreams come true. And so you give yourself that permission. And then the next thing you do, and part of giving yourself that permission really is not letting other people's opinions derail your dreams. So those are the, that's part one. It's that two, two parts to part one is you give yourself permission and you don't get derailed by other people's opinions. Part two is you sit down 
and you write down every single dream you want to achieve or be or do or have. Whether you want to be king of the world, whether you want to have a private jet, whether you want to have 2.7 kids that are blonde and blue-eyed or whatever it is, you write down every single dream and you don't censor yourself. You don't say, while you're dreaming it, you don't say, oh, that's impractical. I'll never be able to afford a private jet. You just write down everything you want to do, be, or have happen to you in your life. And then you break that down into immediate goals and one to three year goals and then three year and beyond goals. And that's and that's step three. That I'm sorry, that's all step two is just is doing the dream hard. That's the actual dream harvesting is sure. getting all the dreams out of your mind, out of your mind onto a piece of paper and then putting a, a, a one to th a, an immediate, a one to three or three plus year. So that's step two is dividing them out that way. Then the next thing you do is you take your the first goal, whichever one is going to rise to the top of the list that you want to work on first, and you sit your you stand up and you breathe deeply and you put yourself in one of those powerful states physiologies I was talking about. Maybe you do it outside where you feel the sun on you and you're in a park or in some space that is inspiring to you, and you think exactly how you are going to feel when the dream is done, when it's accomplished. And this is where you bring in your five senses. So imagine yourself, you, the, you've accomplished the dream. What do you see when you've accomplished the dream? Let's go. Maybe your dream was uh, you want to take your family to Italy for a vacation. So picture yourself you're there on the terrace on the Amalfi Coast and your family's there on the terrace to this cool little Italian restaurant and the, the cliff is in front of you and the Mediterranean Sea is all bright blue out in the distance and there are little sailboats dotted on the water and the waiter comes out of the restaurant and he puts some pesto down in front of you with some fresh Italian bread. So you make the dream completely real. You focus on what you see you focus on the sounds that you hear of the wind or the waiter saying manje eat you know <laughs> and you focus on the taste of that special pesto sauce that's only grown in the hills above the amalfi coast above positano and you hear your kid who uh who practiced italian order lunch for everybody so you make the dream completely real what you see what you feel what you smell the the uh, touch of the chairs or the what texture of the clothes or whatever it is but you get leverage on yourself by making it completely real in your mind so that's number three number four then is you put a timetable to it so now what's um when am, what am i going to do the action steps it's actually the action steps and a timetable for that dream so okay what do we have to do well first i'm going to google something about italy the next thing we have to do is plan when we're going to do the vacation. Uh, what, so you do the timetable and the action steps that you need to do. Okay, I need to research plane reservations. I need to see when my wife's vacation is, whatever it is. Then you go through that fear process because there's probably some fear associated with it. Well, we can't really afford a trip to Italy or, you know, will, will the kids like it or whatever the fear is. We don't speak Italian. We don't understand the money. We don't know how to order lunch. So you figure out, OK, I'm going to we don't know how to order lunch. You know what? I'm going to sign one of my kids to figure out how to speak a little few words of Italian. 
We don't have enough money. You know what we can do? Instead of going out for dinners for the next eight months, we'll have dinner at home and we'll make an Italian dinner. So you, you, you break through the fear, whatever it is. Then you, you've developed this plan. And then the next step is you take action. So you've decided that you have to do those steps, i.e. you have to Google Italy, you have to read about it, you have to order the figure out the plane. Then you start taking action on doing those things. So now you do the stay home and you make the Italian dinner and, and you do the action steps. And then you just keep revising those action steps as necessary till you get the result you want. I love it. Awesome. And that was all eight. That was all eight. I think I might have missed some, but that is awesome. I especially love the uh, the uh, example of Italy. I actually lived in Italy for two years, so oh, that is near and you, dear to my heart. <laughs> no wonder you were smiling so big when yeah, I said that. Yeah. Well, well you described Positano and uh, I lived in Naples for six months. So oh, how wonderful. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Anyways. Um, awesome. That that was tremendous and i i gotta say thank you so much for being on the show today rob um you've given a lot of really direct and actionable things to do so uh before we let you go how can how can our audience reach out to you support you and see what you're up to well mostly what i do actually is i speak to corporations to their employees teaching them the skills of happiness so that the great resignation uh, is, which is hitting so many businesses i teach employees how to be happy so they want to stay on their jobs yeah. uh, people can reach out to me through my website it's rob dubin r-o-b-d-u-b-i-n.com uh, there's not a lot there for the general public but if if people are interested in a uh, couple of questions we always get asked is how did you afford to retire at 42 and how did you uh, how do you and your wife get along? We've been married almost 40 years and 17 of those years we're on a small sailboat together. <laughs> and so we always get that question. And then I have uh, a number of PDF files that people can download. They're they're the relationships, they're the financial, they're the the live happy uh framework that I went through with you. Another one is insights for an extraordinary life, some similar things. And if people are interested, they can go to the frequently asked questions page. There's a little form they can fill out there and they'll get an email with all those links. Excellent. 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 Uh, and then as far as action items, uh, this is what I came up with uh, for our audience today. Number one is implement one thing from the live happy framework. Hey guys, quick interruption. But today's secret word is spy. That's S-P-Y. If you want to know what that's all about, go ahead and go over to our Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and see the latest reel that I put up and it will tell you all about the giveaway that we're currently doing. Again, the secret word is spy. Today, number two is remember a time specifically when you accomplish something that you didn't think you could to kind of help start jump-starting your brain to think that way. And number three is do the fear-breaking exercise. And then number four is to run through the dream harvesting exercise. Is there anything else you'd want to add to that? Just the one other thing that applies to a number of different steps in there is asking empowering questions. Ask questions that have a positive, what did I learn from that? What, how did it help me? You know, maybe, you know, you got in a car accident, but when you went to the hospital, the nurse became your wife, you know, <laughs> whatever it is, what, what positive thing came out of some experience? Right. So ask empowering questions of your negative experiences and you can turn them around in your, to a better story. 
Excellent. Awesome. I will get all those up in the show notes, but thank you so much, Rob, for being on the show. I, I appreciate you sharing your story and, and just making it very, very fun and interesting. So thanks for being here. Great. Thanks so much for having me. For sure. Thanks for listening to today's show. I really appreciate you guys' support. Uh, I can't do this day in, day out without you guys listening. So thank you. Uh, make sure you listen after the show for some announcements from our sponsors. Also, I would highly appreciate some advice on an upcoming project. So go ahead and reach out to me on Instagram. Send a message to at the hard thing podcast and, and ask how you can be of service. And I'll ask my advice and, and I'll forever be in your debt. But keep doing hard things, my friends, and you will overcome average. Hey guys, one quick announcement for today's show, and you might have heard this already, even in today's episode, but uh, I have an awesome opportunity for you guys once in a lifetime. You have the opportunity to have dinner with myself and a covert CIA operative. That's right, an undercover spy. Uh, My guest, Andrew Bustamante, has been gracious enough to offer himself up (laughs) Uh, as guest for a dinner with myself and one lucky audience member. So if you want to sign up for that, make sure you hit the link in the show notes below. As well, you can go to Instagram and hit the link in my bio at The Hard Thing Podcast. This is first come, first serve, and there's only one slot. So whoever signs up first will have the opportunity to come to Utah and have dinner with myself and Andrew Bustamante. It's an exciting opportunity. It's one that you'll be able to brag about to your friends of being able to sit down having dinner with an undercover secret agent. So don't waste any time. Go ahead and sign up in the link in the show notes or go to Instagram at The Hard Thing Podcast and click the link in my bio and you'll find all the relevant information there. Uh, So look forward to having dinner with you.